I'm from Vienna, Austria, and I like it very much here. I enjoy every minute of it, and it's real nice, the friendly people, and the landscape, and the cases, and the mountains, everything's all right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm originally from Manila, Philippines, but I'm a resident of New York City. Now, what do you think of Iceland? It's uh, gorgeous, but it's very expensive. <laughs> well, I've been here before, but I've never taken this trip and I enjoyed it very, very much. I'm intrigued with the country. It's a beautiful country. I'm impressed with it. Reminds me of Alaska. Iceland, as it's seen by those who come to visit. But as is true of any country, there's another side. The side of life as it's experienced by the people who live there. Over a thousand years ago, the country was colonised by the Vikings, aided by monks who came from Ireland, and slaves brought in by the settlers, slaves born in Western Britain and who have since left a legacy which can be traced in the blood groups typical of Celtic Europe and distinctly different from the main Nordic strain. This is most pronounced in some of the remoter settlements along the western seaboard. To this day, Icelanders maintain there is an identifiable Celtic influence in their art and culture. Change came slowly. But ten centuries of surviving in a land where ice and fire dominated the way of life forged these people into what they are today. The climate was dominated by the Arctic, the countryside controlled by volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. The most recent reminder of nature's powerful and unpredictable forces was in 1973 when a volcano erupted above Jaime in the Westman Islands. Nearly 5,000 people were forced to fly to safety, to watch impotent, while lava and ash buried their town. Only hours after that volcano had spent its fury, people were making plans to return. Just listen to this woman, Anna Sigurdai Dottir, and her account of how they rebuilt their community. It perhaps reveals much of the Icelandic character. It was rather horrible to come back. It was all black. Most of the town was covered with ashes and cinder. People were working very hard. My husband and I, we were the first to come back here. Came in June, first to have a look. And then all together we came. Fourth of July, we moved into this house, rented it, and later on we bought it. Now, this house, I, I should uh, point out, actually overlooks the site of your original house, which is completely covered in lava. Yes, I can see it. If I just step outside, I know exactly where my house was. I can see it from here. There's a huge rock there of lava. Well, when you came back, mm. did you ever feel that the task was too much? No. We never doubted. The people who wanted really to come back never doubted. There was no doubt in our minds. What is it brought you back? Why do you feel so committed to oh, the Western it Islands? Was, it was the love of the island. This island has a hold of us. It just pulled us back. And I know my husband and I, we, we never wanted to go anywhere else. We just wanted to come back. There was never any doubt about perhaps settling in Reykjavik, no. only a few miles away? No, whatsoever. And we even talked of building a new house, and then exactly the same as the one we lost, or buying one. And when we came here, it was all covered with black stuff. There was not a green grass anywhere here. There was no road leading up here, just the cars and lorries just drove on top of this black mess. And then slowly they began to clean the town, first in the middle of the town, for cars to drive around. And at last they came here. 
we were so much outside that uh, we were the last to get uh, cleared away, you see. And when that was done, we began to get flowers, grass, and things began to look up. And we began liking it, this house, and slowly forgetting about the house we lost, which really was very beautiful, very convenient. It was a bungalow style. And our garden was lovely. And we did miss it very, very much. So it's the garden that means so much to you. And when you returned, the place was simply buried in ash, without, yes. without any greenery at all. No, no, no. You mean here? Yes. No, 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 no. No grass at all. It was all black mess. And then... Uh, what did you feel like when that happened? You mean when the eruption occurred? Well, no, when you realised uh, the monumental nature of the task that faced you. We just had to go on, go to work, start. I think most people who came back felt that, you know, glad to get back to the island and begin, begin again. Well, do you feel now that you, you have built up the community to the level it was at before the eruption occurred? Yes, I think so. Actually, the service the people get is much better. We've got a new hospital, very, very nice one, very well equipped. And we've got a people, old people home, people's home, which they say is the finest in the country. We've got two, two new uh, kindergartens, lovely ones. We've got a swimming hall and everything to do with sport in the same house and uh, the roads are still very very bad and uh, we got uh, the electric you know it was cut off they say it was um, underground or undersea eruption that cut our electric cable underwater they repaired that all and even here up in, up in this house so high up in the mountainside, we are having fresh water now from the water supply. And we had to just collect the rainwater to begin with. Looking out from one of your windows, you can actually see the steam rising from the crater, yeah. which caused all the destruction. Oh, yes, you can. Do you never have the feeling that it might erupt at any moment? No. We are not afraid. What makes you so sure? Well, uh, uh, some of the scientists said it wouldn't occur again for 5,000 years, and I simply believe it. But they might have said that before 1973. They might have. You know there was an eruption out in the sea there in, in 60, what was it, 63? Was it? In or 60. Or 64. When this new island arose. Mm -hmm. And actually that helped us. In what way? Well, it made the pressure less on this island. But uh, I think very few people believed that it would occur on the island. I believed it would occur uh, somewhere out in the sea. And I was so blind that when this occurred, my husband and I found our two married daughters in town. And I said, get the children ready, be prepared, but don't worry, this is out in the sea. And I looked at it coming out of the ground. My mind simply refused to believe that the eruption was on the ground, on the island. I told both of them, be calm, this is out in the sea. It seems to be something quite 
indefinable in the Icelandic characteristic, indefinable as far as I'm concerned, that, that makes you able to face this kind of natural disaster, start from scratch and build up again. What do you think it is? That well, actually, I don't know, but uh, I heard this during the eruption. The people up on the mainland who wanted to help the Icelanders, uh, it was something of uh, social security people and social... Uh, oh, I like the word now. You know, people who help other people in, in difficulties, trained for that sort of thing. Well, no one came to see them. No Icelander came to see these people for advice. They said that we had some system, a system built inside for resistance. Well, we, we didn't need the help from these uh, kind people who wanted to help us. You were able to do it yeah. automatically, instinctively, on your own? Yes. They said that we had something built inside us to resist uh, this danger. Uh, do you think this is true? Well, actually, I, I, I wouldn't know. I didn't need any help. We felt very, very badly about it and very sorry and all that, but we tried to face it. Well, now that you have faced it and you've got your community built up again, mm. what do you think you've gained from the experience? I don't think we, we demand the same as we did. From what? Demand from what? Well, our demands were higher, you see. We wanted um, uh, fine houses very nice uh, furniture, carpets and curtains, fine things. I don't think I would go in for that so much now. What are the qualities of life which have replaced these things? Well, we survived, all of us. We are building up our island again. And what my husband and I do now, which we didn't do before, we travel more. All our money went into making this lovely house of ours. You can see it here. This is the picture. And uh, we did it slowly. We never owed any money. Everything we earned went into this. And we had just finished paying for lovely carpets. We paid everything as we went along. And uh, we never went anywhere. We didn't take holidays until we had finished our house. Well, we lost it. I, I left my house at uh, two o'clock in the morning that night. I never saw it again. My husband went back to the island the next day and he packed everything he could. And uh, we lost quite a lot of things. But uh, that made me realize that we shouldn't go in for such nice things. Enjoy more life, take it more easy. That's how uh, my husband I, and I look at it. And I think um, other people do too. That was Anna. Her life has changed overnight in a most dramatic way. But another change swept over Icelandic society, a change caused by rapid transition from what was a rural society at the turn of the century to what it is now, a technological and almost entirely urban community whose livelihood depends on fishing. Perhaps it's the long, cold winter that makes the Icelander value the comparative warmth of summer. Certainly, during the perpetual daylight of June and July, young people make the most of their leisure time. Here's an example of what I mean. At four o'clock, on what to me was a rather cold morning, I stumbled upon a group of teenagers. Their idea of a good time was to strip off and enjoy themselves in a hot spring near Reykjavik. What are these people doing? 
swimming. <laughs> no. But it's four o'clock in the morning and they're nude. They're in Iceland. Yes, they're just uh, wasting fun. We are wasting the time. They're in Iceland. It's twenty-four hours. <laughs> and they like doing this kind of thing yeah, at I four o'clock so. in the nude. Yeah, ah. love it. What, what's the big turn on? <laughs> big turn on. Drinking. Tommy, what are these people doing? Uh, I think they are taking a bath <laughs> at this moment, but uh, of course uh, they are also drinking. But it's four o'clock in the morning and they're not wearing clothes. Why should they be taking well, a bath? They are. It's a special the culture. Place. It's it's quite different from what you usually see. It's a fisherman's uh, culture and it's quite different from like uh, people who are quite alive. They work long hours, as you may be know in Ireland also. And the people also take the liberty to do the things that you usually don't see in other places. In 70 years, the old order has been turned on its head. The values of family life have been put to the test. The country won its independence after an unhappy domination by Denmark. The world went to war and Iceland found itself occupied by as many soldiers as there were inhabitants. Dramatic transformation indeed. As a symptom of this change, we'll take a look at family life. When this was a farming community, four generations could live together in the one household. It was customary for a girl to become pregnant before she married. After that, the process was automatic. Mother, child and father would be absorbed into the family unit. That was the way of things. Today, with the majority of people living in Reykjavik and the smaller towns and villages around the coast, the previous family structure has become a thing of the past. But the tradition of pregnancy, then marriage, has persisted. So much so, in fact, that over 60% of births are illegitimate. Here's how Professor Bjornesson, a theologian and sociologist, describes the problem. Well, if you look at this issue, first of all, statistically, then uh, approximately 34% of all children born in Iceland are born illegitimate. That's to say every third child. Now, but certainly this doesn't tell the whole story. You would imagine comparing this figure with maybe 6 or 8% in, in England or 10% or, uh, in Denmark that we had a really, really a, a quite a big uh, social problem. But uh, as a matter of fact, it's not. These 34% uh, must be broken down in that uh, it's not that we have so many illegitimate children in that respect that there is a, a, only a single mother with a child. Uh, we have to look at it uh, from the point of view of the, uh, the family systems which are in operation in Iceland today. It, it's... Uh, it's uh, really quite characteristic that uh, besides the, the normal and certainly the most uh, uh, common uh, marriage family type, where you have a married couple with, with, with a child or children, then uh, there are uh, what I call non-marriage family types. Uh, first of all, there is the engagement family, and second, there is the cohabitation family. Now, the engagement family simply is a there's an engaged couple. They are they are quite young. They um, they have their uh, first child. They are not married. They are accepted within their respective families and and within society. They uh, why do, don't they marry? Well, they would say we are not prepared, perhaps financially and so on. 
they get much support from their uh, parents. They, uh, uh, perhaps both of them are, are still studying, and uh, there is no uh, hurry to marry, whereas they though are living together and they may have their first child, and, and this child by law is illegitimate. Now this is the, the what I call the engagement family, and uh, I believe it's uh, responsible for uh, for almost two thirds of the the illegitimate uh, illegitimacy rate. So ultimately, that engaged couple will become married, and therefore the the children of that marriage, by law, will not be illegitimate. That, that's quite right. It's quite normal that that people will live in this sort of a setup in an engagement family for perhaps two or three years, and then they will marry. Well, what about the other couple, the cohabitation couple? Yes. Well, when I say cohabitation couple or cohabitation family, then I mean. Uh, uh, a pattern which is uh, more traditional perhaps in Iceland than the engagement family system and and then they simply live together as man and wife the whole life and but it never got to the point of, of marrying. Now of course they had children and all their children were, were by law illegitimate but uh, when we look upon this in the, in the, as a question of social as a social problem then there is this hard core of illegitimacy of perhaps 10%, which I mean hard core, then I mean that there is an, a, a single mother with a child, and this is always a, a, a social problem in a way, uh, whereas the other 20%, they are, of the children, they are simply taken care of within a, a normal family pattern with both parents around. Icelandic society has gone through a process of reversal over the last 60 years or so, starting from the time when the society was almost entirely rural-based, and now it has become an urbanised society. Has this process of change had any profound effect on the, the different kind of marriage couples that we're talking about? I think it has, in a way, in that uh, this uh, pattern of, of uh, engagement family is really quite a recent development, and it's more an urban uh, situation than, than the, for instance, the cohabitation pattern, which was more a, a rural pattern. And uh, in the uh, urban community, uh, I, I mentioned uh, education, uh, those young people we are talking about, they, they are quite likely to be on their way to, to uh, in education, perhaps uh, starting university and so on. This is an, uh, and they are, they are financially, uh, they are dependent financially on, 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 the, on their parents and, and uh, uh, this is, uh, I would say this is uh, more of a, a recent development within the urban uh, community. An outside view of Icelandic society might be to assume that there is a sexual freedom here which could be creating problems. Would you agree with that? Well, to a certain extent there is a, a sexual freedom, but uh, I tend to look upon this uh, with comparison perhaps with the other Scandinavian countries. Now we have the same legal background and there is very close cooperation in terms of a law on, on marriages and, and so on in the, all the Nordic uh, Scandinavian countries. And um, I'm, I'm uh, 
pretty sure that uh, sexual freedom is no more, definitely no more in Iceland than, say, in Denmark or Norway in Sweden, even though our illegitimacy rate is perhaps twice as high as it is in, in Denmark. What about the attitudes of Parliament and, indeed, society in general toward the evolving patterns of uh, marriage and illegitimacy, divorce and that kind of thing? Well, the development has been, uh, in, in terms of uh, legislation, uh, this has meant that uh, the, the legislation on social security and social welfare has taken very much uh, account of the situation of, of the single parent, of the uh, perhaps a single mother with a child. Uh, they, are, they, they receive uh, uh, social, uh, social security... Uh, and, uh, and in terms of daycare institutions and so on, which is uh, uh, making it easier for the single parent to, uh, to cope uh, financially, to be, uh, to be working, and, and the, the child is taken care of in, in, uh, in a daycare uh, uh, institution, which is supported by the both by state and uh, municipality. So society in general is coming to terms with the evolving patterns? Yes, I, I would say so. The, it's coming to terms with it. it it's uh, really, it, society is more or less accepting this, uh, this trend. That is, that is not to say that, uh, that we are not worried, and uh, especially in terms of the increased uh, rate of divorce, which has been increasing quite rapidly in the last... Uh, well, 20 years. Um, of course, this is a concern. Everybody is aware, or, 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 or most people are aware of the all sort of uh, emotional uh, dangers and and uh, and the hardship, perhaps, of a, uh, the, the children of a, of a broken home and uh, and we are not at all happy with this trend. Uh, Do you think, perhaps? you've gone too far and that divorce is now too easy to get? My personal view is that uh, divorce is now becoming too easy. I, I mean that in that sense that uh, I think that people should be more uh, responsible in what they are doing when they are entering marriage, perhaps. I think people in Iceland, as perhaps in many other countries, are are entering uh, family life, raising a family, entering marriage, or an, perhaps an engagement uh, family life, as, as, as it's practiced in Iceland, uh, without uh, very much foresight. And uh, quite often this uh, doesn't mean happiness for these young people, but simply uh, disappointment. And... Uh, and uh, I would very much like to see something done at, on, not on the divorce end, but at the other end, for making people more aware of the duties and obligations of, of a family life. The human side of all this is a familiar enough story. Listen to Elizabeth. She's 29. Two years ago she had a child while living with a man she does not plan to marry. We were talking in her flat above a noisy street in Reykjavik. Knowing the scale of the problem... Was it an accident, I asked her, that she became pregnant? No, it wasn't an accident. We, if, uh, we, we both uh, wanted a child, it, it, uh, it was okay if uh, I would be pregnant and it was also 
okay if I hadn't been. And that would be the case of most of the people you know, most of the, yeah. the young girls. Yeah, but there are a lot of accidents. Well, from your experience, Margaret, do you find that when couples split up, that the fathers look at, come back to see the children, or do they just vanish, leaving the woman to take care of the child for herself? Yes, in most cases, the father he he perhaps come comes to visit on Sundays or or take the child for a few days and, and then he doesn't uh, see it for many weeks. What sort of problems does that create for the mother? You know, uh, in many cases, the child <coughs> will will perhaps be against her. Against Against her. And, Why is that? Uh, because because uh, the child uh, sees the father in good light, and uh, the mother has to carry, you know, all. Uh, the mother has to look after both the, the mm-hmm. good and the bad, mm-hmm. bringing up the child, mm-hmm. and the, the child then only sees the father, it only sees the better side of the father. Yes. Well, tell me, Elizabeth, what are the chances of a single mother? with a child, uh, finding a husband or a permanent partner to live with after she's had that child? I think there are, uh, in most cases, there are just a few women that uh, find themselves a husband again. It's rather when the children has grown up, then they get married. And it's uh, often that the men, they get married uh, uh, after the divorce, rather than uh, uh, women. Well, do you find anything unusual about this relationship, this attitude toward one another, um, where perhaps in other countries people would meet each other, get engaged, get married and stay together for the rest of their lives? In other countries, mm. Mm, yes, I think so. More, more in the in the countries when the where the where the church is uh, is, is stronger, you know. Elizabeth's mother Joanna became divorced after her third child. Later, she had another baby who's now four years old. This, in Iceland, is quite normal and there's no stigma either for a single parent or the illegitimate baby. Indeed, as Joanna explains, her family gained much from the experience. I don't uh, consider it uh, only a disaster and uh, I, think, uh, I think in many ways it, uh, it makes a child becoming more independent and uh, more... Uh, responsible and it feels the responsibility of uh, of uh, being alone with uh, usually the mother and it's uh, it uh, learns to help more in the home and uh, take care of a lot of things that you would never uh, lay on a child if uh, if uh, uh, both parents are in the home are in the home 
Do you think in the circumstances of a normal marriage the child is protected, uh, cushioned to some extent from the, the realities of life? I wouldn't be so uh, dramatical to say that, but uh, uh, yes, in, uh, although in, in some ways they can be overprotected and, uh, and uh, I think it's uh, quite healthy for a child to bear some responsibility and uh, to learn to stand on its own feet. What about the effect uh, your experiences have had on your own daughter? Because she has recently had a child, and uh, to some extent the, the situation she is in now reflects the one you were in some time ago. Yes, and uh, in a way I think uh, that uh, perhaps he is more able to cope than I was because of uh, she has witnessed my experience through the years, so uh, perhaps that will be of some uh, some help for her in the future if she will be alone with uh, her child. Not that I um, not that I wish she will uh, that she will have to be alone, but uh, uh, she learned very soon to uh, to uh, for example take care of her little brother and. Uh, and uh, take care of the house, and uh, uh, she and uh, and uh, her brother they they cooked meals when they were nine and eleven years old. So so uh, if she managed to get her education, and uh, and uh, and I have a feeling that she will she will do that. I think she has uh, she has gained from my experience in a way. Do you think that going through a broken marriage, these children uh, develop closer bonds with one another, which to some extent might substitute for the relationship they ought to have had with their father? I don't think uh, that uh, anything can uh, can come uh, can substitute uh, for the father. I don't think so at all, because I think it's very necessary for a child to have both father and mother. But uh, if if a marriage br breaks up, then I think that uh, it's it's uh, often happens, and it's very good that such a relationship uh, between brother and sister develops, and uh, and so it uh, it uh, was with my two elder children. They are very close, and uh, they need each other very much, and. Uh, and they have a relationship that I, for example, never had with my brother, that was only two years older than me. And they have been of great help and support to each other and, and also to, uh, to me, myself. Women's rights and feminist campaigns are common enough issues today. Here in Iceland, female emancipation takes on an added dimension. Unwed mothers the world over face serious problems when trying to fend for themselves and their families. It's no different here. And for that reason, the 4,000 unwed parents in Reykjavik have formed a society to bring pressure on the government for better financial support. Sigridur is their lawyer. I asked her if she thought the state was coming to terms with the problem. No, not yet. Because I think the financial problems for the single parent are... Uh, still uh, too, uh, too great a problem 
I think the single parent should have the same uh, possibilities as the married ones. And when I say that, I mean that a single mother should have the same choice whether she wants to go out to work or whether she likes to stay home and bring up her children. But she doesn't have this choice in Iceland today. Well, is this because society hasn't really come to terms with the single parent problem as a permanent part of society? Uh, no, I don't think it's because of that. I think it's just that uh, we haven't pushed hard enough, you know. Uh, we have uh, been taking a great care of elderly people in this country, and they have had uh, pension, which has followed the inflation. But I don't think that the payments that the, the mothers, single mothers are getting the financial aid from the official financial aid has not followed the inflation, you know, they are, they are uh, falling behind. But do you think that uh, the, the state will come to terms with this eventually? It's only a matter of time before it gets round to it. Yeah, I hope they will. Uh, our organization has been trying to, to push uh, this forward, but up to now there seems to be very little understanding they seem to think that uh, just uh, enough to get on with is enough for the, uh, for the, you know, just enough to survive is what the child, child should, ha should have. Uh, I think the, the thought that uh, they are supporting the mother is very wrong because it's, uh, number one, the child they are supporting, you know. And I think uh, this thought, uh, we lack very much on this uh, understanding now. It's the child we are supporting. What about the child as uh, he develops? Do you think that the, the child of a single parent family is disadvantaged by being in, in this predicament? Yeah, I think it might be because, you know, as I said before, the mother has no choice of, of uh, staying home with the child or, or going for work. And uh, besides, I think if there are any poor people in Iceland, I think it's the single mother with the child. They have, some of them, very difficult, uh, difficult circumstances. What is, is there a stigma attached to it? Uh, I know that the, the relationships are quite free and quite accepted by society, but uh, is, is there a handicap that applies? I don't think uh, they have, uh, there is any handicap except this financial one, as mm. I said before. Mm. Otherwise, I think uh, a child of a single parent uh, is not in any way otherwise than any other child. And what, is not what about the fathers in these relationships? How many single parent fathers are you dealing with? About 200. Yeah, about 10%. And are they suffering in a similar way? Some of them, yes. Mm -hmm. Because they have to find a way to, to have, keep uh, home. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not easy when you don't get any, if they are uh, workers or something, low paid, you know. That can be very difficult. To focus entirely on illegitimacy may distort the perspective of change in Iceland, so I think we have to consider other effects as well. Perhaps one of the most profound adjustments is being forced on the church. In Iceland, 93% of the population is baptised into the Lutheran faith. In practice, 
3% attend church. It seems the role of the established church here has fallen victim to this transition. Here's Professor Bjornesson again. It's not easy to, to explain, and, and certainly not in any few words, but uh, I would uh, point out, though, that this is very much the, the uh, pattern, the Scandinavian pattern, where we have the, the national uh, churches in, in, in Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Iceland. It seems to be very much the same pattern. You have uh, almost everybody enrolled in the church, well, in Iceland, as you say, uh, something like 93%, whereas there's a very small minority which, is, which are really practicing church-going Christians. Uh, Does this suggest that the church's authority has been reduced to very little? It certainly has been reduced uh, to perhaps to very little. What uh, seems to have happened is that in this rapid change from a rural, from a, from an, uh, rural community to an urban, uh, more or less industrialized and I would add secularized society, uh, the church has very much, uh, in many respects, lost, lost its uh, previous functions. It, 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 so many of the traditional functions of the church within the rural society have now been taken over by all sorts of agencies of the welfare society, of the welfare state, which, which is now developing. So that... Uh, Perhaps people tend to feel that uh, they don't need so much the church except for the uh, traditional occasions of uh, baptism, marriage, uh, burials, and, and, and so on. Do you think it will be possible soon to tell whether this is a change for the better? Well, I, again, this is a rather a difficult question. Uh, as, a, as a Christian myself, I, I would not be very happy if the church is losing its influence, but then, uh, then again, I would say that well, good and well, uh, that the church maybe had influence in, in, the, in the wrong areas in, in society. It, it had influence where it wasn't really the matter of the church to be an uh, influential power. What do you mean, briefly? Well, I, I mean uh, that uh, in, in older times where uh, when the uh, church and, and the, the ministers of the church were sort of... Uh, uh, very much part of the, the state authority and, uh, and uh, very much involved in, in worldly affairs and perhaps neglecting the, the uh, central role of the church, which is more on the spiritual uh, side. Now, um, I would say that uh, it's a quite a, a, a fortunate development in that, uh, that the the state uh, has now recognized that it, it's in, within the, it's, uh, it should function as being uh, 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 taking over various areas in, in education, in, in welfare, the care of the aged, and, and, and so on. This, this is all a, a state responsibility, which perhaps before belonged to, to certain extent to the church. And... Uh, I, I would say, though, that we have not worked out uh, 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 perhaps a, a balance here that, that I would like to see. I am, I'm as well, I'm very, very worried and, and concerned about the, the, um, the state being too uh, powerful or, 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 uh, or dominating uh, in, in, uh, in taking care of uh, all sorts of responsibilities, which means that the 
responsibility responsibility of the individual is is re reduced to uh, pr to perhaps practical nothing. I would like to see the church besides uh, besides uh, its um, uh, central role of um, uh, uh, preaching the uh, the gospel of being socially active, but then I would like to see it in that sense that it uh, inspires individuals to uh, uh, to accept their own personal responsibility and there are so many areas in life which are not taken care of by uh, social welfare where you need personal initiative and i think the church should be very much active in uh, in helping individuals to to uh, to find their own role and responsibility in in society this is undoubtedly a materialistic society. The Icelanders readily acknowledge that their standard of living is high by any standards, and that's the way they intend to keep it. Perhaps their obsession with the good life is a natural enough reaction to a harsh climate and a comparatively isolated society. But no stranger can really understand the true reasons for the love of one's country. That's something which can only be explained by the people who live there. In the early hours of another of those strangely sunlit nights, I was at a party. The conversation turned to the country, while host and guest alike gazed spellbound on the beauty of mountains and sea that is everywhere. Well, uh, really, to tell you the honest truth, uh, an islander always wants to come back to an island. And uh, you, are, uh, you are an individual on an island. And uh, I think, uh, to tell you the truth, that the ruggedness of this country of, or of uh, an island like Iceland, you know, we are almost on the Arctic Circle. In fact, we are. The northern part of Iceland touches the North, uh, the North Pole. We are there. And to some people they say, oh, well, this country is not habitable, you know. Uh, but it is very much so. It has uh, such beauty and ruggedness. We have uh, inflation and, like I told you before, rotten climate, really. But we love it. 